Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, Danielle Bezalow. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. If you love and support the work that we do, join my crew on Patreon to win amazing prizes like our adorable merch, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, private sessions with yours truly, and incredible sex toys. Go to patreon.com slash sexedwithdb to join my crew. Get discounts at all of my favorite brands at sexedwithdb.com. And follow us on Instagram at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. If you want to partner with us, email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. Magic Wand's story begins in 1968, a full year before we landed on the moon and about six months before bell-bottoms were trendy the first time. This is when the Magic Wand, the original personal massager, was first introduced, and I am so glad it was. No one expected that this unassuming device would soon become one of the world's most recognizable products. The Magic Wand original exemplifies the phrase icon, and now it shares the spotlight with three equally impressive models. Magic Wand Plus, a corded variable speed massager, Magic Wand Rechargeable, a cordless, multifunction device, and the first-ever Magic Wand Mini, a new, compact, adorable, rechargeable massager. Every product that bears the Magic Wand name features the legendary power and historic pleasure that took the world by storm more than half a century ago. My personal favorite Magic Wand is the original. They sell millions every year, and for good reason. It's powerful and brings so much pleasure in all the right places. Want to get a discount on this amazing powerhouse? Go to sexedwithdb.com slash magicwand to learn more. Here's a fact I bet you didn't know. Nearly three out of four women have experienced pain during sexual intercourse at some time during their lives. That's 75%. For some women, the pain is only a temporary problem, but for others, it's a long-term problem. I am one of those people who has experienced painful sex. Pain can happen for many different reasons, but one product that has consistently decreased my pain and increase my pleasure in the bedroom is UberLube. UberLube is a silky smooth silicone-based lube recommended by leading doctors, and its body-friendly ingredient list makes it widely used by people with sensitivities to lubricants. Another amazing thing about UberLube is that it doesn't leave a sticky residue like water-based lubes do. It lasts for a long time and doesn't stain clothing or bedding. I have three bottles of UberLube on my bedside table right now, ready when I need it. If you're someone who wants to feel more pleasure in the bedroom, Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. Trust me, it's amazing. Are you falling into a pattern with your partner? Looking to spice things up but aren't sure how? Me and my partner exit our ordinary with Lion's Den. Lion's Den has hundreds of your favorite brands to help you and your partner reconnect or try something new. From novices to dungeon masters, there are products for every comfort level. With 50 plus years in business, Lion's Den is here to help. Can't make it to a local store? Shop online and chat with a customer service team member while you shop. Lion's Den offers our listeners 15% off in-store and online using code SEXEDWITHDB at lionsden.com. Hello, Sophie. Welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Hello. I'm good. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Couldn't be more excited that you are here today. Um, I was just gushing to you offline before we started this, but I am a really, really big fan of you and your work and of your latest film, Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, which you are the director of. Uh, And we're going to get all into it, but I'm a little bit fangirling that you're here. So I'm (laughs) very appreciative. Uh, Lovely. Thank you. Of course. Um, Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit and just tell us about who you are and your work? Sure, sure. Um, My name is uh, Sophie Hyde, but I'm I'm a filmmaker and I am right now um, in the place that I live, which is on Ghana country. So it's the land of the Ghana people in Adelaide, South Australia. And the land that I'm on is like, is Tandanyanga, which is the country of the big red kangaroo. And, um, and it's a, I always sort of start with these things with this acknowledgement of country, which is a kind of recognition of the land and the place that I'm on, which um, Australian First Nations people do, and um, most Australians do now too. And it also like a kind of grounding force, but it but it it also is an acknowledgement of a kind of that I live and I work and I extract my wealth and I raise my family and everything on a land that is stolen land. Um, which is, I think, very significant and, and very uncomfortable, but also important to acknowledge. So that's where I am. I'm sitting in my back studio today, like looking outside at the 
sky and the trees. And I, yeah, I'm a filmmaker. So, I, and I'm a filmmaker that makes films um, all over the world. And I seem to always be away making them at the moment or and then come back home into this shed and edit them. And I think it's a really unusual place to be, like position to be in actually, to, to make like that, you know, to, to be able to live here and to work internationally, you know, is a, is a real privilege. But I started making with a group of people called Closer Productions. We're like a collective of filmmakers and we have um, been making together for many years, decades even. And, um, and you know, we've gone, we range from like documentary to kind of art films and dance films and then uh, features and um, television as well. Amazing. Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You have a very calming presence. Do you get that a lot? Do <laughs> no. people tell you that? I think I'm like a duck paddling under the water, just calm at the surface. <laughs> right, right, right. So it's all behind the scenes, understood. Yeah. Um, well, I, I appreciate your your calmness. I'm feeling like in a good space, when you, especially when you're like, you know, I'm looking out at the trees and the sky. I feel like lately I've been really trying to appreciate like nature, just like wherever I am, just being able to like observe it and say like, that's there. I am here. I'm lucky to be able to look at it True. Um, and experience I mean, you have to. it. It's like if you see a ripple in the ocean or if you see a beautiful magpie, which we have here, like you have to stop and look. Otherwise, it goes way too fast. Our lives. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, we ask every guest this, and I'm really curious to hear since I'm assuming you grew up in Australia. Is that a correct assumption? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Okay. So what was your sex ed like growing up in where you grew up and how did that kind of lead you to what you're doing now, if it did at all? Mm, yeah. Oh, look, I feel really lucky because um, my parents were very open about sex and bodies and stuff. Like um, I, they always spoke to me about sex. They always were really clear about how our bodies work and there was no kind of sort of like tiptoeing around things. It was very straightforward, do you know? Um, I my my mum is, you know, a, a feminist woman and she was she's she's all about the body. So she's always talking about her body, sometimes too much. I mean, sorry mum. Sure. Um, and my dad so we come from a queer family. My dad was openly gay and so even that means that those conversations had to be had, which was like my parents were sexual creatures that had other relationships and and um and lives that, that I knew them in, you know? So that, that makes a big difference. I definitely know that I was given a huge book when I was really young that just had everything in it. There was like nude bodies. And I was like, Ooh, wow, look at that. Weird. You know? And I remember being upset at my sister when I, she wouldn't let me be in the bathroom when she was putting a tampon in. And I was like, Oh, well, how am I ever going to learn? <laughs> Which help a sister out, please. Poor sister. Poor yeah, old sister. Me. I'm her sister. You yeah. Know, she just wanted some privacy. Um, so, you know, my family was very open and my extended family too. And, um, in terms of school, it wasn't terrible. I would say it wasn't like some of the stories we hear. And in Australia, we've had some really bad stories in the last week, um, about some very religious kind of connections at some of the schools in Australia, some real purity, abstinence training kind of kicking back in. And, but I, mine wasn't bad like that. If I look back, it probably didn't include much about pleasure. It was probably very biological, but it wasn't it wasn't giggly or it wasn't, you know, um, ignored. I, I did have two sex ed teachers at primary school. One was called Mr. Horn, which I think is pretty funny, and one was called Mrs. Safe. And it was very no. yes. <laughs> And they came in and did sex education with us. And, that, you know, they did, like, it was, a, it was an era of AIDS, so we did a lot of stuff about sort of safe sex was a big thing, you know. It wasn't terrible, but, man, it wasn't great. And sure. so, like, the way I think about sex and the way we can talk about it now, it took me a long time to come to that, like, to fumble through to that. <laughs> right. I'm, I mean, I'm really glad, though, that you had a family who was more than willing to provide kind of what you were needing, I feel like when we usually ask this question to guests, they're kind of like, it was shit at home and it was shit in school. And therefore I've been very much 
figuring it out on my own since the beginning or with my friends or, you know, depending on when they grew up, they didn't have the internet or they were just starting the internet or, you know, uh, had to check out a book from the library. Like it really just depends on, on kind of all those different factors, but that's wonderful that you have a family who wanted you to be in the know about that from a very young age. Yeah. Isn't it just horrifying that something that we put so much pressure on and so that we talk about so much and there's so many expectations around that we just don't talk frankly about it. It's just, it's, it's such a difficult way to grow up, isn't it? Like, right. um, and I hope that that's shifting, but I don't know that it is in all places. Yeah. I have, I had this kind of realization the other day of just, the, just in general, I feel like people who are in my circles and people who I chat with are usually people who are actively trying to make the world better or like make, connections, right? Like whatever form of your view of better is. And then there's always someone opposite of you trying to kind of like fuck it up, you know, and for, for whatever reason, you know, usually has to do with like power and privilege and all the isms, of course, of much longer, larger conversation. But point being for every qualified sex educator out there, for example, or every filmmaker trying to really show the humanity of something or someone, there's always going to be a far, you know, right wing Christian person trying to teach abstinence only education. And that doesn't, it's not going away, right? Like as we see, especially in the US with the horrific state of anti-transness and anti-queerness in this country specifically, uh, the amount of bills that have been proposed across the country and the amount that have actually passed and that are Mm -hmm. harming young people and old people, everyone in between who are queer, who are trans, who are quote unquote, not the norm, right? In in the right wing person's eyes. Mm. And so all the more reason for us to continue our fight just because we know it's not going to end right now, the fight. I think there was a period where we felt like we were kind of coming out of some sort of, you know, darkness. And now you see this huge backlash against it. Sort of anytime there's a like a little bit of a shift of of how we might see the world and that we might open up our spaces to include more people and things like that, suddenly there's this like clamping down because people just don't want to let go of the power. But it amazes me how people are so upset and shocked and and um, violent and aggressive towards such simple things like how somebody chooses to spend their time or who they choose to love or what they choose to, how they choose to present to the world. And like, I can't really understand why those are the things that people fight back on other than that they are afraid of losing their power. Yeah. Which is a a power of deep imbalance, you know, like. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it really is about power privilege, like being able to feel like you're the the mainstream or you're, you know, the person who wants to uphold these quote unquote, like belief systems that Mm. were in place. Right. But as Mm. we know, like queer people have always existed. They will never stop existing. Um, And it it is like unfortunate that being queer is equivalent right now to quote being brave. Right. Because it's just people want to be who they are. uh, And some people don't want that attachment onto it. Amazing. But terrifying. Yeah. yeah, we we digressed a lot there, but I think it's important. Yeah, you guys in the like states, it's so binary. It's such a divided like country in so many ways. I mean, we are as well. Like, we still have a, an element of that. It doesn't feel quite as extreme, but that's always the case. Like, nothing ever right. feels quite as extreme as the USA. <laughs> Good old America. Um, yeah, it's for better and worse, right? I mean, exactly. It's, yeah, a whole, Both a whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh. Let's talk a little bit about your films. Um, you know, you you mentioned, you know, you've been with this collective for decades. I'm assuming you started making films for years before that, potentially. Uh, so you've been doing this quite a long time. And so I'm wondering if you can talk to me about them and maybe some common themes that come up and maybe what most excites you about directing, if you've done other roles like writing or producing or other mm-hmm. things that you've been involved yeah. with there. Yeah, sure. Like I... Um... There's definitely thematics in the work that I do and and they're kind of very character-centric, my films, you know, or like led by character. I sort of, I kind of came up through theatre and dance. So 
But really the reason I started making films was more about wanting to work with people and create rather than like what I was trying to say necessarily. But even the first short film that I made was called My Last 10 Hours With You and it was about two men their last 10 hours together and it was like very about very much about the kind of physical connection that you have with somebody as you're trying to let them go. So even at that point that was two guys in one room believe it or not which we, which will have resonance soon when we talk about good luck to you Leo Grand and um and very much about a kind of relationship and kind of exploring what it is how we treat each other who we are whether that always works whether we're always our best version or not you know um and and certainly kind of physically how we sometimes how physicality is is a different form of communication for us that isn't always what we anticipate or expect, I think. Um, so I started there and then I made a, a quite a few documentaries and documentaries are different. You're kind of led into things and, and sort of finding stories that, that exist, you know. But even making those, I really had a feeling of like you explore all this stuff and you film it all and then in the edit you try and work out what it is that from all of that you've learnt and you want to say mm. rather than this idea of like, I'm putting the truth on screen or what I, what I filmed just happened to be the reality. Documentaries were really formative in sort of working out how to tell a story for me, certainly in a long-form story. But then I made my first feature film, feature drama, which is called 52 Tuesdays, and, and that was a story that was, it was set every Tuesday for a year and it was shot every Tuesday for a year. And oh, we wow. Wrote it as, we wrote it as we went. And there was a little team of us. There was only like five people on set. And I was working with a guy who's like my best friend from growing up. He's the writer that I mostly work with. And so we were writing as we went and the actors would get the scripts a week in advance and we would oh, rehearse wow. and then we would make this and then we would change it as we went and respond to what they were doing. And so 52 Tuesdays and every every Tuesday had to be in the film. So it was this, this film created through a set of rules, you know, um, it's super low budget, part of an initiative to have um, filmmakers sort of show their voices. And um, and that was a film about a, a teenager, Billy, who um, whose mum comes out as trans and transitions to living as a man over the course of the film. And but but at the same time limits their time to only Tuesday afternoons. So they they only see their parent on Tuesdays. And so the film is set around that. And so it's really about time and relationships and it's a lot more complicated, that film, than just that. So, Of course. But interestingly, that was a kind of time where um, the idea of being trans felt, to me, it was something that was very, I, I, I wanted to make a film that was about a queer family. That was really important to me and that just felt like where we were going with it. And um, the transition at the time, we started out thinking about it physically, but of course when you're making something, suddenly you realise this isn't about a physical transition at all. This is just about a kind of emotional transition. And a teenager going through a whole year of change, which became huge, you know, in it. Right. And, um, but at the time we did, the language wasn't as established or certainly was only in kind of niches, you know, very established. So we read lots of books like Original Plumbing, which was this amazing trans mag from the States. And we were working with an actor who was um, non-conforming, gender non-conforming for that role. So, and that was really crucial to us, you know. But we we had to, you know, educate ourselves and then everyone else on language. It was like, you know, this was 2011 or something. Um, and it was like, gender non-conforming what like you know like I feel like that's not you know that was maybe newer terminology to like folks at that time we didn't use non-binary that's for sure like and gender's been something that's been really interesting to me and always has been and and that's because I grew up like I was always really drawn to things like drag performances and because I'm really interested in the play of gender because I've always felt that it was a construction, I think. I've always believed in it. And so the playfulness of it is appealing to me. I've always liked people who cross and walk the line and play with gender ideas. I've never been very comfortable with a very binary idea of gender. And so that's, that's always been in my work. In fact, that short film I told you about, My Last 10 Hours With You, I asked three different writers to write a script about two people that were in this last 10 hours 
and I was going to get them to write and and change it into change their genders because I was just really interested in where the writers would go with that. And of course, oh, everyone comes back with like man and a woman, um, except Matt, who I work with. Um, yeah, and so I, it, there's there's this kind of questioning or playfulness or or wanting to interrogate what gender is and like where it comes from that is definitely in my work always. And 52 Tuesdays was the kind of culmination of that, I think. But then I went on and made a film called Animals, which is about two best friends, women who have kind of spent a long time partying and drinking in Dublin. And they kind of hit a point where one of them's trying to work out, like, am I actually going to achieve any of the things I want if I keep doing this? And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of questions about growing up and, and whether, you know, you have to go from the party to a kind of stable marriage. If Is that the only path or, you know, or is there more possibility? And and that was um, a really rollicking and very fun movie to make um, in Dublin. We loved it, Animals. And in between this, I've made a little bit of TV. So I made a show called Fucking Adelaide, which is about my hometown and is a that queer family thing, which is like about returning to Adelaide and it's like a comedy show about how you deal with your family and the place you're from. And then I made a show called The Hunting. It's a show about uh, teenagers sharing explicit images of each other online without consent. So that was a show that was inspired by a lot of events that were happening in Australia at the time where young men were sharing um, images of their female friends and peers like quite and, and hunting them down, like trying to get images, and it was really disturbing. And so that show was a four-part series working with teenagers and, and then um, their teachers and parents really looking at the idea of consent, but not consent in terms of necessarily just sex, but what does consent mean and why are we blaming, you know, the, the the girls in the most part who are taking photos and not the people who are sharing those photos without consent? So that was a really dark show, actually. Yeah. When no, you start to do that. that, it's pretty dark. And um, so I made that. And then I went and made Good Luck to You, Leo Grant, which is um, two people in a room. One of them is an older woman who's decided that she's never had a really good sexual experience and she has hired a sex worker and and their sex worker, Leo, comes in and and they try and navigate what's going on for her and what it is that she wants and needs and, and, and sort of the parameters and boundaries that each of them have, I suppose. Yeah. I'm Dr. Jennifer Lincoln, board certified OBGYN, and you may know me from social media where I spend a lot of my time educating about everything reproductive health. This podcast is called Let's Talk About Down There, and that's what I'm doing. I am talking about down there with no shame, no stigma, a lot of fun, and a lot of education. And why? Because when we talk about these things, we educate and we empower ourselves. Call in, leave a question, and know that it's okay to have questions about your body, and we're going to answer them. What do I love about my Freya? The incredible premium razor and clitoral vibrator in one discreet product? Strap in, it's a long list. I love that when I'm already in the shower getting clean, it's super easy for me to grab my Freya and give myself immediate pleasure. No need to get right out of bed, clean my toy, and get out of the mood. As soon as the mood strikes, my Freya is right there to play with. I love how strong it is and that it has six vibe modes to get me feeling the right kind of way. I love the smooth, clean shave it gives. I also love how discreet and easy it is to travel with. I've personally taken Freya on my vacations and have been able to leave it in the shower even if other people are around, like it's my fun little secret. Use code SEXEDWITHDB to get 20% off your Freya. And for a limited time, enter to buy one Freya and get one for your bestie for free. Enter to win at highfreya.com slash sexedwithdb now. And follow Freya on IG and TikTok at Crave Freya. Let me tell you about one of my favorite sex toy shops out there, Lion's Den. If you haven't heard about Lion's Den before, I can't wait to tell you all about them. Lion's Den first opened its retail facility in Columbus, Ohio in 1971. That's right, over 50 years ago. Since then, they have grown to more than 50 outlets throughout the U.S., building its reputation on high-quality products, low prices, and a knowledgeable sales staff. Their staff are also sexual wellness experts who can help you find the perfect toy. One of the many things I love about Lion's Den is that they advocate for a sex-positive perspective on intimacy and sexual well-being. 
and strive to break the stereotypes and stigma surrounding sex by providing comprehensive educational resources to empower everyone to enjoy life to the fullest. They're simply amazing. Lucky for you, Lion's Den is giving my listeners an exclusive discount of 15% off your purchase in-store and online with code SEXEDWITHDB at lionsden.com. What are you waiting for? Get your amazing Lion's Den toy now. Interested in experimenting with anal sex? Here are 10 things to know before bottoming with expertise from a doctor and anal surgeon at Future Method. Number one, lube is a bottom's best friend. Nothing beats the slickness and endurance of silicone. Number two, there are many types of lube out there, but not all of them are great for your butt. The three types you should avoid are warming lubes, desensitizing or numbing lubes, and spit. Number three, there's a proper way to stretch your hole before your bottoming debut. People talk about introducing toys into foreplay and self-play, but they also serve a very important purpose, dilating and maintaining your hole, both to aid opening and strengthening of the skin and muscle so that you can maximize your pleasure and minimize your risk of injury. Number four, douching with water or enemas isn't good practice. Enter the Future Method Anal Douche Powder Packs, a first-of-its-kind solution you can take on the go to help you feel confident and ready before you bottom. Number five, it's not only okay to speak up, but it's imperative for the health and safety of everyone involved. While initial discomfort may be present, if anything hurts, stop. Want to hear the rest? Go to futuremethod.com to learn more, and don't forget to use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off their amazing products. Uh-huh. Um, okay, well, I definitely need to watch, like, all of your stuff. So I'm really excited to go digging after this interview because uh, I'm intrigued by every single thing that you said about your past work. Uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, we're we're mainly today going to be talking about Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. That's the the piece of your work that I have seen and loved. Um, as I mentioned, you know, I was absolutely blown away by many many things, but a few that I'll name is the intimacy the storytelling, the rawness, and the relationship between the two characters and just the the characters, how they are on their own as well. I think they're like incredibly well-developed and people who I can absolutely see and feel like outside in the world. And yeah, it just has a million things that I'm thrilled about as a sex educator. I think we always are kind of looking for media where we push people to see like, here is like a feature film, right? It's not a documentary. It is a work of fiction. And yet it has so many elements in it that I want, you you could teach an entire college course on like all of the different elements that exist and like how to kind of like flesh them out. No pun intended, flesh, there's a lot of nudity (laughs) in the film. Um, uh, But yeah, I'm wondering like, if you can talk to me a little bit about some of the challenges in directing this film, maybe what were some of the triumphs? Like, was there something that came up that was really unexpected or surprising? Yeah, really interesting. Cause part of this, or maybe the work that I make is this idea of normalizing things. And it almost feels kind of naff to say that and almost offensive, but I can't help but come back to it because it's like, A lot of the time you want to make something that feels deeply personal, that feels entertaining and compelling for an audience. And at the same time, what you're doing is normalizing stuff that feels really normal to me, but isn't normalized in our world, I don't think. I think we have this idea that like normal is one way, but actually there's all these people that live differently. So when I sort of first heard about this film, I was sent a very early draft of it. And I love the idea of two people in one space and it being centered around sex, because I think once you make something about sex, all this other stuff has the capacity to come up, mostly intimacy and connection and what that means, you know, and power, I guess. So I was really excited by that, but I was also really excited by the idea that it was a sex worker and that there was maybe a way to have a sex worker as a lead character that was an interesting, rich, whole human you know, that had a inner world and all sorts of things because I feel that's really lacking. And an older woman, I suppose. They were both things that were interesting to me. Um, but when I first got the script, it was an early version and it, it, was, it was very much Nancy's story. Um, and, and that story was about a woman kind of trying to sort something out sexually. And, and so I wasn't convinced by it, do you know? Um, I wasn't convinced she's a she's quite an abrasive character. I'm sure you know, yeah. and 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 she was kind of a bit of a hero in that first version, and that's because Katie 
the author, the scriptwriter, is she knew her really well, Nancy. And and Emma Thompson, who plays Nancy, knew her really well. And Debbie, the producer, knew her really well. And they, they knew this woman. And it was exciting that they decided to put this woman who was very rarely the centre of a story on screen. But in some ways they'd gone so far down that path that it was just her story. And right. my feeling was like, I, this needs to be a two-hander and a proper two-hander and then it needs to be a two-hander even inside its form, which means that you can't go out and meet Leo outside of this space and understand more about his life in that way. So you have to find a way inside the room to understand and to, to feel like he has a story as well, proper story. So in terms of challenges, the biggest one was how do, we do, how do I bring that in and make it feel really real and significant, not take away from Nancy having this kind of powerful story, but also shift hers and change it because that changed quite a lot too. And I guess that meant uh, for me talking to a lot of, like working with sex workers, so actually kind of delving a little further into, you know, different people's experience and also what was helpful in terms of presenting a sex worker on screen, not just you can always come up with a story, but what's actually helpful in terms of positioning someone who's who's doing this profession, you know, on screen. And so, yeah, working with lots of sex workers and kind of interrogating what the story could be, how it could still feel right narratively, but also you know, explore like real things about what it feels like to kind of offer this. You know, I met so many sex workers that I was like, whoa your skill base is incredibly high. Like the skills that you bring in and offer somebody uh, are really significant. And that's just such a challenge because you have to put yourself aside and yet you can never put yourself aside. And so it's it's that place where like sex work, you know, meets directing, meets performance. Like we do the same thing, which is walk into a room and and try and put ourselves aside but also bring ourselves, you know. Mm. So, yeah. That's, that was that so is very long. tough. That was the challenge. No, uh, that's good. That was, you know, in terms of triumphs, I mean, that also felt like a triumph to be able to work that stuff in in a way that it never it felt like it was still working as the story it needed to be, and um, and to feel like the characters of Leo and Nancy were still at the centre of it, but it wasn't being naff or shit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 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 I mean, that was literally one of my questions of like, and of course I, I, this kind of rhetorical, like, yes, of course you can tell that you worked with sex workers because it's so very much, I imagine speaks to what they experience and how they feel. And, you know, obviously it's not a monolith. I'm sure the people who you chatted with have very specific stories and the way in which it influences this film, but I would imagine that all sex workers want to be respected. They mm-hmm. want their privacy to be respected. They want their work to be normalized in the sense that they have a service that they're providing. And I think that the film touches all of these areas and it doesn't bang it on the head with a hammer, right? It's like quite special, the the subtlety and the way in which, you know, there's this scene and you know, again, this whole episode is a spoiler alert. If you haven't, if you haven't noticed already, you should go watch the movie and come back and 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 listen to this. But you know, obviously, there are so and there are so many other scenes that I would love to discuss. But you know, there is a scene where there's a, a little bit of a breach of privacy, and I think you know what happens when a client breaches that trust. And I think that was really handled with grace and like it it felt like very realistic to me of this idea of like hey like what don't you understand like this is my name this is who I'm telling you I am this is the service that I'm providing and like whatever goes beyond that is not acceptable and I think that that was so well done and handled and I imagine that that was a very tricky part to kind of go over yeah it really it really was because and it's funny because an audience will see it differently. Some people are like, why, why does he care so much? And, like, some people are like, what? She is, like, unforgivable. And it's that I find that really thrilling too, do you know, that people come at that with such a different point of view. Um, right. And it's a funny thing about consulting with people because we consulted with a broad range of people, people that are very different. And, of course, you have a character that needs to be quite specific. Um, what I found was that 
like you could get more specific because you started to find just these beautiful stories and interesting kind of qualities from people. So it became really clear the kind of sex worker that this character was, which is not the same as all sex workers, of course. Everyone's like very, very different and he's very much someone kind of wanting to be very good at his job and finding something that he he really prides himself in being very good at. And obviously sex workers come in all shapes and sizes and don't all feel like that, you know. And there's some real troubling stuff in sex work too, but that's been presented a lot, you know. There's also some people that are really fucking great at what they do and love it, you know. And, and he um, seemed to be one of those people. He, he is. And and that doesn't mean that he didn't come in from a place where it was like he had to start with a need, like most work, you know, like, right. like most of us do because we need money and, you know, yeah. or, or from a place where he had to deal with his own kinds of shame. But the thing I love about that character is that he has had a whole lot of shame put on him and, and would continue to, but he has a he has a way of wanting to shift that for himself and for other people, you know. Um, and so that kind of, that consultation became important to have a broad spectrum, but then to have really people that we worked with much longer and, and, and more. And, and really it was like when we started working with sex, led, sex worker-led organisations and then finding people that worked in there, that was really important because there's a lot of knowledge and um, sort of activism in that area that's really great. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And there were, it it very much did feel, and I don't know if this was the intention, I'm sure maybe part of it was, but like as a woman kind of like watching this being like, oh, he, like, how would I imagine myself in that scenario? If I was in Nancy's shoes, right? Like, would I be like so awkward or so uncomfortable or like, you know, he's a very confident and he's not, he's very kind and caring this character. And he Mm -hmm. like gives Nancy a lot of space and time to kind of come into her own, but he provides these little moments. Like we're going to talk about like the intimacy and the sex scenes, right? Cause they, they were incredible. And I think like, also this is just like a little aside, but the Alabama shake song that you use. So I was in a college acapella group and that was the song that I chose to bring to my acapella group. And oh, my good. stepdad is a musician and he arranged that song for acapella and I got to be the soloist on that song. And it like kind of, it, it like gave me this like amazing out of body experience of being like, wow, these two characters on screen are like having this. <laughs> and and you play, you know, you play the whole song, right? There's like this whole moment that they have with this song. And I imagine that I'm one of the few people who like knows that song incredibly intimately because I had to practice it 900 million times. <laughs> Uh, and so just an aside, like it was just a, kind of like serendipitous. I felt that that was the song that was in there. That's so cool. I love that. I love that song too. Like when we we were trying so many different things and I was so happy that the two actors really, really vibed on that song as well. Um, just like it just had this, it wasn't trying, it, was, it wasn't Leo trying to be seductive or sultry or no. like to bring a certain kind of flavour and, and that kind of surprise in that character I always really love. Um, yeah, but you're right. Like you have a ca- – oh, oh, step back because you have this character who comes in and is trying to be kind and trying to do the right thing all the time for, for this other person. But I always think about that first meeting of what Leo is experiencing coming into that because it's like he walks in and he's like, okay, why is this woman – why has she chosen me? The whole first meeting he'd be thinking – why has she specifically chosen me? Is that about my race? Is that about my look? Is that about uh, my age? Is that about what is it? Like what is it she really wants? And that must be the experience that sex workers are often going through of like someone's saying this, but what is it truly, you know? Yeah. And how do I not preempt it but kind of be ready for it, you know? And I think that's but, but that something like the song is, a moment where it's like, I'm just going to put this on and it's going to be just a song I love and like let somebody kind of go with it rather than like trying to play something from her era or trying to play something right. like Barry White or, you know, like, yeah. yeah. Right. But, or like, yeah, per, like let's get it on. Yeah. Like there's not, you know, there's no, there's no gimmick. It's like re- you can, and he says this throughout the film of like, this is just who I am. Like I like to do this. I like to offer people like, 
pleasure or making them feel good. And like, that's just literally who I am, like at my core. And I think the authenticity is what gets people who are watching, I imagine. And, And some people, including Nancy, the character in the film, there's a point where they can't reconcile the idea that you're bringing yourself and you're being authentic, but you also are playing a character and you have boundaries and you're not going to share everything. That's a really comfortable space to me because I'm used to that in my life. And so are performers, let's just say. Like we know how to do part of that. But for some people, the idea of authenticity doesn't match with that performance. Right. For me, those two things are kind of really happily together. Yeah. Absolutely. And you you kind of need it, right? I mean, like, think of people who, right, like are super famous and like are just in the public eye all the time. Like they need to share a part of themselves for just them or for their partner or for their kids or for their parents or who for their friends, like whoever they want. And I think that that is critical to people being able to feel like, oh, I'm still me. Like people can view me as X, Y, and Z, or I am in this sense. And like you, I really appreciated what you said about gender being a performance. Cause I've been thinking about that a lot too, of just like, there are different ways that we are all performing every day. And I imagine for sex workers, people on Broadway, people who are, you know, like in the spotlight all the time, Like it's part of their survival to be able to have that privacy. And it doesn't make them fake. It's not like I'm faking this version of me. It's like this is a genuine real version of somebody famous is what they bring in an interview. But that doesn't mean they bring everything to the interview, you know, and and that's fair. And in fact, we do it all the time, don't we? Like you're different at the shops. You're different with your the friends of your kids you know you like it's we change all the time it doesn't make us inauthentic I think. right it's like code switching basically yeah. <laughs> yeah um let's talk about the intimacy in the sex scenes um because knowing that you you know consulted sex worker organizations and sex workers themselves i'm sure that you had intimacy coordinators and chatted with people about the way in which that these people are engaging on screen and you kind of, you didn't say this, but we'll kind of like get to it. The film kind of goes through like multiple meetings of Nancy and Leo and it kind of progresses over time, right? Like at first Nancy's really like stubborn in her ways, kind of like really nervous is going back and forth every single time. Do I want to do this? Do I not want to do this? And Leo's like, let's just kind of take a deep breath. And like, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. It's like very, you know, casual, And as the meetings progress, there are different sexual acts that happen um, up until I would say, you know, one of the final meetings, it's kind of like, oh, there's like a bunch of stuff that they are experiencing sexually together. Uh, And I'm just kind of curious, you know, like what goes into these moments behind the scenes? Like how can you kind of like make that moment of intimacy and privacy so accessible to the viewer? Mm. Yeah, it's um we didn't have an intimacy coordinator actually. Interesting. And, um we did talk to one of the greatest intimacy coordinators, Ita. Um and she She was on this podcast by the way. Shout out. I love her. She's yeah. amazing. And look, we talked to her and we had a really great conversation about and the kind of approach that I have is is it has really similar grounding to kind of what intimacy coordinators do. Um particularly her, she's a master. In the end, it was we were shooting during COVID. It was a very small crew. And in the end, we decided as a as the three of us decided that we didn't want one. Um, and at the same, like, it's funny because all three of us are really behind the idea of intimacy coordinators. Like, we really think it's such a great shift. And there's been so many people abused in that position. And it's such a huge, like, I love the change so much. So in many ways, I'm very happy they exist. And if you had more cast, I would be like, let's do it straight away. Right. In this instance, we just felt that we were doing it. The three of us were really connected and we had enough time and enough connection with each other directly to not need that. And that was something that obviously Emma and I could make that call, but that had to be something that was very comfortable for Daryl, who plays Leo as well, because, you know, Emma Thompson is a Dame Emma Thompson. She's a, She's got a lot of power in that situation. And as a director, I have a lot of power too. But Daryl coming in was a newer actor, like wanted, you know, it's a career break. So we had to be really cognizant that we were really sure that he also felt that, you know, that he felt comfortable in that. But he did. And 
And so I suppose the way that we approached this idea was I was annoyingly checking in, like, are you sure you're okay? But not just like, are you okay once, but like, are we continuing to feel good? And we sort of talk about it in the way that you can kind of think about consent generally. And as actors, I felt that they needed that sort of consent as well, which was you can consent once and it doesn't it doesn't last. You know, it's like when we're in our rehearsal room and we decide what we think is best for the story from the place that we are in our little bubble, that's great. And what we're going to do. But then on the day, do you feel different and do you feel weird or do you feel sort of like things have shifted and maybe the consent is different? And in the moment, do you feel different and you can sort of check in? And, and even with us, it was like even afterwards in the edit suite, there was always the idea for them that they could shift, they could change their minds about how revealed they were, you know. Um, not, and that just, it was like enthusiastic, consistent consent, you know. and yeah, And even that. It actually just gave them a freedom to be like, let's go for it. Let's go for what we think creatively and then know that we can shift that, which they didn't want to do in the end. And, and of course, that will always be a tricky moment if, if you make something you love and then the actor goes, I actually don't want to be naked on screen. And so you have to shift it, and, you know. But also it happens and, you know, you, you really need that person to feel sort of safety. But what you don't want to do and I think this is where I kind of used to feel, I, I used to get stuck on something. And I think intimacy coordinators help to stop this as well, which is sometimes you can get a bit too protective of, of actors, I think, which is like this, oh, it won't be great for them. We'll, we'll just avoid it. We'll just not put them naked on screen or we'll not have them be this intimate. Or, mm. uh, And actually that is kind of a puritanical view, which is sort of is about shame, is, is like we must, you know, it's better not to show your body or it's better. Right. And, and in many ways, actors need the capacity to to creatively make choices that also feel exciting for them, you know, rather than always be protected from that. So yeah. it's this weird balancing act of their safety and their and everybody's kind of creative desire to tell something in a certain way, you know. Um, yeah. But how we did that, I mean, was we spent a week in a rehearsal room, just the three of us, and really kind of exploring and interrogating the ideas and also working with our, like looking at our bodies and, and how they were different from the characters and how they were the same and um, getting to know the text, of course, because that was a huge thing on this particular film because a lot of dialogue. Um, but we spent a day where we got naked together, which I would have thought was like the worst idea. Like <laughs> do not do that. I, it like feels like a 16-year-old's version of, of what to do. Um, but Emma and Daryl were both very much of the opinion that before we were on set, they wanted to get naked in the rehearsal room because they didn't want to walk on set and be like, here, here the first time, like, ah, sure. you know, which oftentimes is what happens. Yeah. Um, so they wanted to get naked. So I knew I was building up to this idea, like we're going to have a day where we end up naked and we can kind of, or they do, not me. And and then Emma made a joke about it. She was like, you're going to get naked too. And I was like, no way. And then I went away, and she said, of course, I don't need you to, like, no. And then I went away and was like, ah, oh, somewhere in her that was like a bit of a challenge. Sure. A yeah, bit of- something serious. And so I thought, well, I'm asking a great deal of these two and we're, I'm asking us to, like, try and separate the idea of, like, how we look from our bodies. And... um. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to do this. So I, so we had this exercise which was about sharing our bodies with, with each other, which was about sharing stories of our bodies. So it was like this elbow I like fell off my bike and broke it and it's always been really swollen and that's what it is. Or this part of me I love and, you know, I've always found, I don't know, I, 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 I like hold on to this when I sleep. Or So we, what we were doing was trying to share or I, I don't like this part of me or whatever, do you know? We were trying to share our bodies as these things that were ours and that had stories attached to them and lives attached to them rather than these ideas of things that look a certain way. That, that Because one of the biggest things we were interrogating in the film was like was a rejection of the idea that bodies are most important because of how they look, which is kind of what we're brainwashed to believe all the time, is that the most important thing about our bodies is how they look. And as women... We're told, in fact, that the most important thing about us is how we look. 
And I think we're like, we're told that all the time. That is reinforced by so many things. And in fact, our greatest achievement could be to be skinny and beautiful. And you have people that like win massive awards, like fucking Nobel prizes and are still more worried about how they look or more impressed with their school friend who lost heaps of weight or something. Mm. And these things are like, we're soaked in this. It's just, it's so pervasive. So to even try and shift it so that you think about your body as what it is rather than what it looks like is a huge adjustment. So we were trying to do that on a tiny level, which right. didn't mean that we didn't stand there going like, I feel weird, tiny <laughs> friends person. But actually you, you're positioning yourself in the kind of experience of somebody and that's what you're trying to do in a film too is like how do you look at but feel with at the same time you know so that yeah. that was one of the things we did and 10 minutes into it Emma and Daryl are like we've done this exercise of trying out different sex positions and like playfully like in a fun way after they got naked then they're just like trying those things out naked around the room and they were just like brilliantly after that together they had a real comfort with each other so that then when we want, went on to set they also did this other beautiful thing that was oftentimes on a set <laughs> Oftentimes on a set, everyone gets ready and the actors are there in their full clothes and like you're lighting and whatever. And then at the last second after it's ready, it's like derobe and like go for the scene, you know. And the problem with that is that you sort of again saying like you don't want to be naked for more time than you have to and like ooh, <laughs> giggly, whatever. And Emma and Daryl did a thing where it's like we clear the set, they go on to set, they would disrobe to get ready feel really comfortable we would be together and then the people that needed to be there would come on and like start setting the shots and changing the lighting and getting getting the sound in place and doing the costumes or whatever if there were costumes <laughs> and um uh and suddenly this this idea of shame about their bodies just gets taken away because they're the ones that own the space there's no hiding it it becomes really natural and it becomes much easier for them to do you know so that was an amazing shift. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's so much that, I mean, you essentially were doing intimacy coordination, like by these exercises and with this practice and with this week ahead of time, mm -hmm. uh, it was all very intentional. And mm -hmm. as a viewer, right? Like I'm sure for you, it's so hard to have this unbiased view. You've been in this process for months, for years, like who knows how long, right? And like you were there with them every day, like trying to see if it, you know, gets across. And again, like I'm one person who had one experience watching this film, but it really did come across like all of these moments where it did feel like they were safe and, and they're like, it did feel like they like, I don't know, like he, he has this moment of being like, I do like you. And like, it does, it feels like that. Like it really feels like he does like her. She is intrigued by him. She is appreciating him for what he is bringing her. And it, it yeah. feels very authentic and real. Yeah. And there's a point where like she, because she gets to tell him that he's helped her in some way, that is something that he's offering something back to him too. Do you know, like um, that he feels validated and seen in, in kind of what he does and that's all really important too. So it's, it's a two way street all the time. There were certainly moments where suddenly it would feel uncomfortable or something would happen. And, and we, you just making something like this, you just have to stop and look at what's happening in those moments. Do you know, you, yeah. it's not the kind of film we can be like, push through the awkwardness. Like it just, it just isn't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And he, Daryl is like a, a master, I mean, Emma Thompson, of course, we're going to talk about her in just a second, but just a moment for Daryl, who plays Leo, like, what a fantastic actor, like, he really does, like, own the space of that character. And like, I just feel like he was so sure of like, who he was in that role. And I had just seen him in Bad Sisters, which is a <laughs> phenomenal show, absolutely loved it. And he, he was a completely different person, right? Like, it didn't feel like the same guy at all. Yeah. Um, and I just was really impressed by his performance and like really blown away by like his mastery of like his skills yeah. there. He's he's a gorgeous actor, like really beautiful. And, and he also is a very generous human. So he, there is a part of Leo that he really kind of brings himself to, I think. And um, it's sort of an ability to kind of sit opposite someone else and kind of hear what they're saying and kind of um, 
yeah, like, li- yeah, listen and be with them for a minute, which is kind of quite rare, you know, in somebody. And and um, Daryl is like that. But, and he's a great actor, but he also had to kind of, he has this great quality where if something's uncomfortable for him, if he's feeling something, he tries to voice it out loud. So he's like, I feel crappy or like, I feel nervous or, you know, he, and, and because of that, it, it's a lot easier. Like he'll just say, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm really nervous. And suddenly all this stuff gets broken down you know, rather than the front. And, and and certainly men, people that are raised as men often have a lot of front where they won't say that stuff and that can be totally. quite difficult to kind of tackle. <laughs> but mm-hmm. Daryl isn't like that. He's a kind of gentle and generous human, yeah. That's awesome. That's really special. Uh, let's talk about Emma Thompson for a second because obviously she uh, is, you, she doesn't need an introduction, right? I think like she's in a million, billion things and she is a beautiful person and actress and just incredibly talented. And I think like something very special in this film is we rarely see an older woman, right? Older in quotes, like age 60 plus um, on screen who has been struggling to find herself and access her pleasure, even though we know that there are millions and millions, potentially billions of these women out there, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Not, you know, people of all ages who identify as women or vulva owners who really are struggling when it comes to their pleasure. And I want to know what it was like working with her to really show these struggles of her character. Um, I imagine this woman is quite different from who Emma Thompson is in real life. I could just, I don't know her, but I could just make that guess Um, while still displaying this very real grounded growth of hers, of her character throughout the film. Yeah, for sure. I think you're right. Like Emma is very different from Nancy and, um, but Emma recognises something in Nancy that is, like, there but for the grace of God. Like, she recognises that there's a parallel between her and Nancy and that she knows a lot of people like Nancy. She recognises them from her, her life and and that she could have easily become somebody like that, I think, although I don't know if that's true. Emma's very comfortable with sexuality and, and, her, and her body and stuff, although, you know, she would never... She would also say that she's brainwashed and that there are things that have been like the neural pathways about bodies have been kind of created since she was tiny that are very hard to mm-hmm. to reject. But she chooses to to make work that kind of challenges that even though she struggles with it herself. You know, and she's kind of driven by pleasure in some respects. But she's she is phenomenal. Like she's what you would anticipate her to be, Emma. Um, she's incredibly smart very generous and thoughtful and she does have a way of kind of inhabiting characters that is very surprising I think you know that is unlike someone else and Nancy through I could hear her voice when I first read the script but having her do certain lines it's just like they completely transform you know she's she has an ability to give you a lot of different things or a lot of different levels and so she is still somebody that despite her great craft, she she looks to a director for guidance, which is an amazing gift to a director because you are it means you are actually working very closely together to create a performance, you know. Um, and she could have, you know, she would say herself, she could have given a much sort of bigger, more kind of broad comedy version of this film um, than what we chose to do together because she can lean that way because she's got a, lot, a big, strong comedy bone, you know. Mm-hmm. And... Um, but truly she's, I thought she might want to sort of have her hands in more because she's a writer as well, but she was very kind of, she let us kind of get the script to a point and then in rehearsals we still, we would adjust certain things but not very much. Um, yeah, going into something with a star, you don't know how it's going to be. Like even right. if you have an inkling that they're going to be this great human, they have so much power in those situations that you don't know suddenly there'll be in a whole entourage, which a lot of people really need because the way that they're treated you know or if suddenly they're going to come in and pull rank or you know what's going to happen if and I think if you didn't get along with somebody creatively that has that amount of power it would be a very hard job but we did I mean and she made it really clear early on she has a way of kind of showing her trust in both Daryl and I that allowed us to get better at what we did do you know that allowed us to sort of take that those steps and and I'm very grateful to her for that, that she didn't kind of make me feel ever like I was not wanted or needed or whatever. She's a, she is amazing. And 
she has she has a real she has this other thing which is like she understands something about audiences like I you really have to listen to actors when they say something to you like this doesn't work for me because oftentimes they're deep inside a character and even if you need it for the story you realize like oh I've got to find this another way because it isn't working for that character like somehow but Emma has this other thing which is a nose for an audience and like so in part there's this trust that goes on that's like okay you understand something about the the audience of this film and I found that really helpful yeah helpful um but there are things you have to bring someone to like as well you know but we did get along very well and and so it was an easier process than it could have been um but really she is a master like I do think she is and this wasn't an easy role for her she needed to have somebody she worked very closely with me on casting Daryl because she needed to have somebody that she trusted enough to be able to do what she right. needed to do. And also where we get to at the end of the film, I mean, spoilers again, like the original version, there was no orgasm and there was no kind of ending like that. Do you know, it ended much earlier, do you know? And um, I'm so glad that there was also. We can get into that. Yeah, and the kind of end moment with her and the mirror and everything, like, those that sort of body stuff wasn't very much a part of it and and her trust to go yeah okay this is a comedy film but I am at the end going to do this very raw thing where I feel that was amazing and it was very hard like that final scene to shoot was we shot almost chronologically so the final scene is the final thing that we were shooting and everyone was ready for a party do you know what I'm saying like everyone's ready to finish and there's Brian pun intended yeah, cinematographer <laughs> and, and, and Emma and I and I think Daryl was still there with us and we're trying to capture this last moment that's very raw and honest yeah. and hard for her. And even then she's like, I need to do this for the character but I don't want to look at myself like this. And, you know, so, yeah, she she what she would say to you is like so many people it's difficult for them to stand and look at themselves in the mirror without judgment to stand there and not sort of hold yourself or pull yourself in or change your position or do something to make your body look different, to just look at it and see it. It's not about like love. It's something else, which is like, that is my body. I don't have to look a certain way. Mm. You know, that was a huge difficult thing. And I think even then she was like, did we get it? You know, and and we just, you know, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 I think like, yeah, you kind of said this, but just to give the the listener, you know, a little more info, right? Like in the beginning of the film, when her and Daryl kind of, or her and Leo, Nancy and Leo first meet, Nancy is kind of telling Leo this story about how she was married and her husband died and sex was really not very good her entire sexual life. And she only really had sex with her husband and they had missionary and there was no oral and she never had an orgasm and that was it. And good night, roll over, good night. And I think that this is a very common story for women age 60 plus who weren't, you know, uh, privy to the information that they have now with podcasts and books and YouTube shows and like all these things that we're learning about the orgasm gap and about pleasure and about how to involve the clitoris and that people with clitorises need or desire 75% of people with clitorises need or desire, uh, you know, clitoral stimulation in order to reach orgasm. Like we didn't have this information when, uh, I was even in high school and college and that wasn't that long ago. Right. And so it's kind of like, of course that this is, but even more than that. We didn't just not have that information, but for, I mean, there are all sorts of people having great pleasurable sex, of course, at that age, uh, that are that age. But what was going on too was a, a there wasn't even a sense that this was an important thing. It, Nancy is somebody that lives a life that was like, I fit myself into all the boxes that I'm supposed to of woman and mother and teacher and um, friend and all of these things. The idea that pleasure is something that is important in that and sexual pleasure is not given any credence, you know. And, and she's and a religious teacher, a religion she's a teacher. Education teacher, yeah. And and even like the idea that that how she feels or that she could want something different from what is offered or what is expected is not even kind of there's not even that acknowledgement. So she hasn't and she hasn't looked for that herself either, do you know? Um, right. 
she certainly fit herself into the box of what she thought. So it's not even just knowledge. It's like even the idea that she could choose to want something is fairly right. nice. Totally. It's like kind of like fighting against the norm of what you think you're supposed to be doing. And we didn't even get into this and we don't, we don't even really have the time because this could be a whole other episode. Maybe there's a part two at some point later, but you know, this whole thing with like Nancy and her kids, right. Of her just be, and you know, that the parent child relationship that kind of parallels with Leo's parent and child relationship. It's, it's, uh, it's not, uh, a small part in this film, right? Like there's definitely some some give to this moment. The idea of disappointment too, because Nancy is sort of a bit disappointed by her life and therefore by her kids in, in part. But then she sees Leo, the disappointment of Leo's mother in him is so damaging. And, this, and, and disappointment is kind of at the heart of some of these things we're talking about, which is these expectations we have of how something's supposed to be as opposed to seeing like what's there and like, enjoying the thing that is there in front of you in every way like you know we do it to our kids too like I want that you know you want your child to be certain things and somehow people say they're grieving the loss of this sort of child or they're like just that seems hectic doesn't it like what yeah why we place these things on our children and how how disruptive that can be to them Hmm. but also let's be real, to Nancy herself, the expectation of what she's supposed to be as a mother and and how she's supposed to feel and that any kind of feeling that isn't perfect, like loving motherhood is is so difficult and can't even be spoken about in the most part. Yeah. That's just leading to a whole lot of bullshit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Oh, God, this movie's fantastic. I'm going to watch it five more times and then I'm going to whatever email you other thoughts I have probably about it. But um, one last question I have for you is where can our listeners and followers find you and uh, how can they find the film and what is next for you? What are you working on? Yeah, I mean, where they can find the film varies depending where you are. So I guess in the US it's on Hulu. Everywhere else it's on all sorts of different platforms. Finding me is like probably Instagram. So fired is my Instagram, but my company Closer Productions is also there. And Closer just put up a like old like where to watch films. So you can actually go and find links to all the old films as well at the moment, I think. Yeah. So go and have a look at the Instagram Closer Productions. What am I doing next? Like I have a few projects coming up um, and it's just sort of seeing which one's going to finance. But one is a very personal story that I hope will get made next. Um, about my family and um, and being a parent because I, I am a parent to a non-binary teenager, Aud, oh, wow. and, um, and, you know, I have this, I had this very eccentric gay father and who died a few years ago and the story is about three generations in a, a queer family that is um, is telling a story about queerness but is, is really telling a story about parenting and and, um, and how we take the legacy of our parents down to our children or not, I suppose. So hopefully that's um, the one that I'm going to make next. Yeah. I will absolutely be watching that whenever it comes out. Uh, this has been so wonderful. I just want to say thank you so much for your time. Uh, and, yeah, I – can't wait to tell everyone I know to make sure that they watch this film. Uh, and yeah, thank you for chatting with me and geeking out about it with Thanks. me. Thanks, Danielle. It's been such a pleasure talking about it all. Yeah, we could have gone on for hours. <laughs> Our creator, host, and executive producer is me, Danielle Bezalel, aka DB. Our co-producer and communications lead is Catherine Cohen. Our social media intern is Sarah Kelly. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds. Thank you so much to our featured guests, partners, and our listeners. Want to advertise with us? Email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on IG at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. See you next time.